Well, good morning. What an incredible thing to declare that anthem, especially over this season, that even when we don't see it, he's working, even when things look like they're out of control, our God is on his throne. It's a privilege to be in his house declaring that, raising our voices together, letting that be known. Hey, uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Kondo. For those of you I do not know personally, I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Mission Point. And uh, this morning, I have the privilege, as Emily said a little bit ago, um, of wrapping up a, a series that we've been in. I cannot believe that we are at the end of a journey through the book of James. And uh, the book of James was penned by the biological half-brother of Jesus Christ himself, who was a major skeptic until he ran into Jesus Christ after having risen from the dead. And he began to lead in the early church. He was the, the, the lead pastor, so to speak, in the early church in Jerusalem. But when we get this letter, he is a little bit older, and he's penning these words to the church, followers of Jesus Christ, who've been scattered all over the place because of some difficult situations that they've been going through. And at the heart of this letter, he is challenging followers of Jesus wherever they may be, telling them exactly that. Hey, no matter where you happen to be, no matter what happens to be happening to you, you must continue to prove that your faith in Jesus is genuine by the way you live your life. Life is going to continually send tests Heaven is continually going to give you opportunities to prove your faith in Jesus is legit, not because of what you say so much, but because of what you do. And uh, this journey through the book has been really challenging for me. 2020, as I'm sure is true for many of you, has been the most difficult year that I can remember in ministry and just in life in General, And I have often been tempted in the midst of feeling sorry for myself to think that maybe um, God is going to just kind of give us a pass on this one. Almost like God is going to grade 2020 on a curve. And yet the reality James would speak to us is no, actually, the more difficult the year is, the more the opportunities to prove how genuine your faith in the person of Jesus Christ is. Is. Regardless of what's been happening in this year, there are constantly these opportunities for us to prove our faith is genuine. And as James wraps up this letter, um, he is going to give us one final test of faith. He's going to give us the prayer test. The prayer test. Because I don't know if you knew this, but your prayer life matters. In fact, the way you interact with this ancient, sacred practice of prayer is going to reveal something about how genuine your faith in the person of Jesus Christ is. And um, as we speak about prayer, uh, we're going to put this up here on the screen so you can know what we're talking about. Uh, when James uses the word prayer, he is simply speaking about direct communication with God. Prayer is simply directly communicating with God. Anytime you direct your words or your thoughts or your feelings or, or your groans or your sighs to God, you are 
praying. See, this is interesting because you can think a bunch of thoughts to yourself. Um, You can share thoughts with other people. Uh, You can read ideas even about God in the Bible. Um, You can groan and you can mumble and and whatever else, but until you turn those thoughts or those, those feelings or those groans in God's general direction, you are not actually praying. And by the way, I don't know if you knew this, but you can pray without ever using words. Um, I do this with my kids. I directly communicate with them at times without saying uh, a thing. The point about prayer is it is genuinely me directing my thoughts, my feelings, my ideas, my groans, whatever, to God. Um, And in the next few verses, James gives one of what I think is the most practical lessons in what Christians directly communicating with God should look like. Here's what he says. If you have a copy of the Bible, this is James chapter 5. We're starting at verse number 13. If you don't have a copy, you're going to see the words appear um, on the screen here in the room or at the bottom of the screen wherever you happen to be joining us from. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Already, James is such a practical, practical thinker, and he communicates in incredibly practical ways. If you want to know what your life should look like when it comes to prayer, here it is. And James says that the first thing is that you ought to first pray. The follower of Jesus ought to first pray. For the follower of Jesus, prayer ought to be our first response. In other words, when life happens to us, the first thing we ought to do as a matter of practice is pray, is to directly communicate with God. Uh, James goes out of his way to drive this point home. And I'm telling you, if you've never thought much about prayer or if you've never been taught about prayer, I trust this is going to be very helpful. This is almost like the building blocks of an effective prayer life. He makes it very practical by giving some examples. First, pray. Um, Okay, let's assume that uh, you are in trouble, meaning you're experiencing anything that you don't like. Like what, for instance? Whatever. James actually uses a very generic word at the beginning of this word for, tr- for at the beginning of this verse for trouble. <laughs> it could mean absolutely anything that brings you any amount of distress or displeasure or disappointment, or discomfort, 
or discouragement, whatever other diss you want to throw in there. He uses this word which means if it's troubling you in any way, it qualifies as trouble. Like, you don't like wearing masks. That just bothers you. That qualifies. You missed Cyber Monday. That's bothering you. That qualifies. This is so helpful to me because I'll read verses and I'll immediately go to some really deep and profound troubling things in the deepest recess of my soul. James is saying, no, whatever happens to bother you, your crush keeps you on red, just doesn't respond. Um, your spouse isn't speaking to you. Uh, your show got canceled. Your, your friends flaked out on you um, again. The point is you become aware that something is troubling you in some way. James is saying your first response ought to be talk to God. First pray. As a follower of Jesus Christ, hear me. If anything happens that brings you any amount of distress, that is heaven's cue inviting you, talk to God about it. Direct your communication to God about that thing. Before you call your mom, before you text your friend, first pray. Before you post it on social, first talk to God about it. Before you put on your big girl pants and you suck it up and you stuff it down, because that's healthy, that will never come back to revisit you. James says, first pray. Before you rationalize it and before you start to minimize it and you start to say, it's not even a big deal anyway. I don't know why something like this is bothering me. I thought I was more mature. James says, first pray about it. Talk to God about it. Before you turn inward and you start to process because you're an introvert, first pray. Before you start to pout about it, James would say, first pray about it. James is teaching us, whenever you feel troubled, the first response as a follower of Jesus, tell God what's bothering you. I am so prone to really quickly turn into problem-solving mode when something is bothering me. Or I will start to minimize it and start to have all of these, you know, these fancy ideas why somebody at my age should not be bothered by something so small. And James would actually say, Condor, that is actually not how a Christian behaves. A Christian actually ought to first take those things to God in prayer. Okay, James, okay, but what about if you're happy about something? Happy? Explain this concept. It is 2020. What do you mean by such a thing? Again, James uses this generic word. Lest we be tempted to think he must be speaking about these deep joys that are born out of the Spirit and it's a fruit of, of walking. No, he's saying if anything in your life brings you any amount of delight or satisfaction or joy, it qualifies. If it makes your soul or your face smile, 
it qualifies like your curling team didn't get blown out this time and it makes you happy or your son went poo-poo on the party instead of blowing out their pants this time and that made you smile. James says that qualifies. Turns out your crush knows your name after all. Doesn't matter how they used it. The point is they know your name. Kids are back in school. You're happy. Your favorite meal is on the menu tonight. You're happy. Christmas music is back on the radio. Because for some of you, that actually makes you happy. I'm not judging. I'm just confused. When you become aware that something is making you happy in any way that is heaven cueing you, it is time to pray. James says... Sing songs of praise. Ooh, that just means you are putting a hum to your prayer. Mm, God, you're so good. That was good, wasn't it? Thank you. Um, the idea of a song of praise, praise is just prayer set to music. But the point remains, when you realize something is making you smile, your first response ought to be to tell God about it. Let him know. As a follower of Jesus Christ, that ought to be our first response. By the way, James, thank you for this one, because I grew up, um, maybe like some of you, believing like prayer <laughs> was for problems. You pray when something is wrong. But when things are good, oh, you're good. James is saying, no, 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 no. Fake news. The follower of Jesus Christ ought to respond the same way when things are going well. And for some reason, we have relegated prayer to disasters, which is one of the reasons why you rarely hear a Christian say to another Christian, you've got to pray for me this week. Things are outstanding. It feels so unfair how I'm experiencing this degree of peace in the midst of this chaotic pandemic. Would you come on, put a hum on that praise with me? Would you please join me in praising? Pray for me. Things are too good. We don't typically say that. And yet James is saying, no, that should be the instinctive and the primary response of the follower of Jesus Christ because distress and delight are both designed to do the exact same thing, drive us to communicate directly with our Father who is in heaven. If you're happy and you know it, come on. That's awesome. Before you post that Instagram picture of the food that did it, first praise, which is just praying thankfully to God. Before you brag about how great a potty whisperer you are with your kids, because that's a propensity. When things are going well, we tend to brag about them. And James would say, no, first, come on, put a praise on it. Before you cash the bonus check, 
wave that thing and sing a song of praise to God. If something is happening that's making your heart or your face smile, come on. Turn on that worship song and sing along out loud in your car, in the driveway, because it scares the cats. But do it. I dare you to tell somebody this week, hey, you got to praise for me. God has been so good. And can you imagine how different our world would be if the airways were filled with the followers of Jesus Christ just praising God because we experience any degree of good from him? Can you imagine how different this culture would be? I dare say we would push back some darkness if we dared to live the way James is inviting us to live. Okay, that's nice, James. Cute and everything. But I have one. What about when things are completely falling apart? What about when I'm not just distressed? I am straight up desperate. What about... Then It's not trouble. It has graduated to terminal. Something is destroying my life and I can't do anything to stop it. And frankly, neither can anyone else. What about then, James? Well, like what? Like the prognosis has come back. And the doctors have said there is nothing more that they can do about it. It is what it is. It's destroying my body and I am desperate because I know if something doesn't change, I am done for. The addiction is so strong, I cannot say no to it. I continue to go back and I continue to use, even though I know it's destroying me and it's destroying the people around me, but I cannot stop. I'm in this desperate situation, and if nothing changes, I am done for. James, what about then? I feel like I've tried everything, but my marriage is in this tailspin heading for destruction and there is nothing I can do to change it. What about when we are not just talking about distress, we are desperate now. This isn't just trouble, this is terminal. James, what about then? And James says, for the follower of Jesus Christ, your first response ought to be, to pray. As I studied over this, it occurred to me how much in my life I have believed that there are realms outside of which prayer doesn't apply anymore. Like, okay, yeah, I mean, okay, I see it. Like, you could praise God when things are going well, and if things are going a little bit, you know, they're a little bit difficult, you, you, you pray about those things. But almost as if, but there are certain places, once you get to a certain point, prayer becomes this 
archaic practice that doesn't apply anymore. Now you've got to go see the experts. Now you've got to turn to research. Now you've got to think a little bit more practically. And James is hemming us in and saying there is no category, there's no experience of life in which the first response ought not to be talk to God. The response is the same. Here's what James says, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? And the idea of sick here is that of a desperate and dire situation that is threatening to destroy your life and nothing can be done by anybody. He says, let them call the elders of the church to what? Pray to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. When you become aware that something is beyond the human ability to change, James says that's heaven's cue, that it is time to pray. Except James says, oh man, there comes a time when desperation reaches a point where you need to call for backup. You need to invite some people to join you, but you are doing the same thing. You are rushing the throne room of God, bombarding him with prayer. Talk to God. Involve other Jesus followers. And in this particular desperate case, he calls for the leaders of the church to pray over that situation, to pray over that person. Man, whenever you are, and the reality, some of us may be there right now, experiencing something that has stirred desperation in you because there is nothing you can do to change it, there is nothing you can do to fix it, James says, Heaven is cueing you. It is time to pray. And oh, don't be afraid to invite some backup, some reinforcements to join you in praying for that impossible situation. Before you even breathe the words, it is over, invite some people to pray. Now, this doesn't mean we start being dumb as Christians and we don't do other things. James isn't saying you only pray. He's saying you first pray. Prayer is the priority. Prayer is the first place the follower of Jesus Christ goes. Whether it's delight or whether it's distress or whether it is desperation, they are all designed to drive us to the same place. And I'm telling you, if this is not what these things are driving you towards, James would say you better check your test score again. Because when life happens, it is designed to drive us into the presence of God. Whether it's the little things or the major things. For some of us, we're like, the little things, God doesn't care about those. I'll pray to him when it reaches orange status. And others of us are like, no, no, I don't pray to him when it reaches that status. I pray about the regular food things at my table. When things get desperate, I hit up the experts. James is saying, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, every single category of experience in life is designed to drive you to the same place. Is that what it's doing in you? James is belaboring 
his point. Pray first, pray first, pray first. I wonder how different our lives would be if we truly lived this out. That masks and election results and annoying Zoom meetings just drove the church to pray. I'm just asking you, can you imagine how our lives might look? Because if 2020 has been a difficult year, then difficulty is designed to drive us to prayer. And the question is, Condor has this year, you keep whining about how hard it's been, has it driven you to pray more? And I look at my own life and I have to confess, no, it hasn't. I wonder what life would be like if we actually took heaven's cues and invitations when things are distressful, delightful, desperate, and we prayed. I think we are missing out on so much of what our God wants to do. I still have a job. Would somebody join me in putting a praise on that one, right? If we flooded the airways with those kinds of posts, inviting people into praise. He got me through e-learning. I'm happy and you know it. Depression and anxiety and uncertainty, if that drove us to pray like crazy, how different would this community look? I'm just asking. The elders of the church kept getting calls, and we were like, listen, we may not be able to come into your house right now. We're not sure, but nothing can stop us from splashing your house with some oil and surrounding that thing and praying for your situation. We may not be able to enter in, but watch your missional community come and line up your driveway and pray from their cars, because nothing can stop us from accepting heaven's invitation." To pray. I can't imagine how different our lives would look if we truly believe what James is saying. Pray first. Come on, church. First, pray. James doesn't just tell us when the follower of Jesus Christ should pray, which you're getting the sense is always. He tells us how the follower of Jesus should pray. Verse 15 says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person, remember that person in a desperate, impossible situation, it will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. This is powerful. James is now dialing up his teaching on prayer because there is a kind of prayer that stirs the heart of God to move in extraordinary ways. And James calls this the prayer of faith. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're not just called to first pray. James says you're also called to faith pray. Just even reading these verses makes me so hopeful for where the church is going. 
There is a kind of prayer that stirs the heart of God to move. Or he wants us to pray about everything. But when we do, he wants us to pray with faith. It's a kind of prayer that will see God do what any other kind of prayer just won't. And it's this faith prayer. Um, now, that may sound like a really daunting, overwhelming, maybe even an intimidating um, concept. Um, but, but the idea of a faith prayer, the idea of praying in faith, is simply the idea of praying for an answer. If this whole message ended now about prayer and that's all you heard and you changed just that one thing about the way you pray, you would be praying in faith. Pray for an answer. This is not just praying to say you prayed and check something off a list. This isn't just throwing up a prayer and hoping something happens. This is praying for an answer. I need God to respond. I'm not just going through the motions. I want an answer. And you will know you're praying in faith because your prayer will be a number of things. You're going to find yourself praying specifically. When you're praying in faith, you are going to be praying with specifics. The prayer of faith is specific, and that makes sense. I can't pray for an answer unless I have a specific request. And too many of us, if we're honest, we pray very vague, these multiple choice, generalized prayers like any answer will do. God, move, do something would be nice. What would you like me to do? Whatever. Uh, I'm desperate here. It'd be great if maybe you... Uh, gave me grace to endure this or give the, the doctor's wisdom or, you know, just take me quietly and painlessly in the middle of the night, whatever, God. But there is no specific request for the answer. And at the end of the prayer, God is asking, did you actually want something from me? Which is why so many of us miss the ways God answers prayer because we, we weren't looking for a particular answer. We just threw things out there. The prayer of faith doesn't ask vague questions. It asks God for exactly what it needs. Restore my marriage. God, more specifically, I'm just asking that she would start speaking to me again. Oh, that's specific, and you know when God answers. God, heal my body of this impossible situation. I'm asking that the next time we go to the doctors, the result will have changed to negative. That's a specific request, and you will know when God answers it. If you ask general questions, you will miss the many ways in which God may be answering your 
request. God, I pray that you would lift the cravings of this addiction. That's specific, and you will know when he does. The, the prayer of faith prays for an answer, which makes it specific, and it also makes it expectant. It makes it expectant, because I cannot pray for an answer if I believe God ignores my calls. The prayer of faith understands this. There is never, please hear me, there is never a request you make of God that he does not answer. There isn't a single one. God always answers our prayer. Somehow the church has lost sight of that. And we've stopped expecting answers from God. But the prayer of faith knows there's never a request God doesn't answer. And so we don't just throw up prayers and wish, like a Hail Mary at the end of a football game. Eh, we'll see. There is expectation. The prayer of faith prays persistently. I cannot pray for an answer and quit before I get one. I cannot pray for an answer and then quit after two tries. It doesn't work. I tried it one time. God didn't respond right away. Well, I have to try something else. I think we shop online with more faith than we pray to God. Because you don't order from Target and then stop caring about it because it didn't show up at your doorstep that night. I guess it didn't work. Must not have gone through. No, if it feels like it's been too long, you start checking up on that thing. And you don't quit until it comes to your house or until you get a refund. And yet we come to prayer and it's just not that level of persistence and holy pushiness, if you will. The prayer of faith doesn't quit until it sees an answer. And if the answer doesn't come, it checks up with God over and over and over again. Because I'm either going to get an answer or I'm going to get a redirection from God, which is an answer. But I'm praying for an answer. And I'm telling you, if you surveyed the church and just asked the general question, when was the last time God answered any of your prayers? Many of us would find it's not specific enough. I guess I wasn't looking for a particular answer. And yet there is a version of prayer that God loves his church to bring to him. And it's that prayer that actually wants and believes he is going to answer me. And so I'm waiting on it. I just, I wonder if you pray to pray or if you pray to get an answer. I wonder if you pray with faith or if you pray with quit, if it doesn't happen right away. The follower of Jesus must pray with faith otherwise. It should not surprise us that there is a famine of seeing God move in great ways. It should not surprise us that we don't see God doing the impossible in and around us. It should not surprise us that there is so much God wants to do in our midst. But I fear we too often miss it. The follower of Jesus Christ must pray with faith. 
And I believe as we do, as we first pray, and then as we faith pray, we will see God move in incredible ways. Because my Bible says in verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. If you have a different interpretation of the Bible than the one I'm reading that gives you a different cause to believe God longs to move, I'm just wondering, when was the last time you, got, you saw God move and do the impossible in response to your prayer? Because James says God loves faith prayers so much that when he hears them, he is prone and inclined to do the impossible. Are you praying for an answer with that kind of faith? Or are you making excuses for God? Well, I mean, sometimes he does. Sometimes we don't want to put too much pressure on him, so we want to give him a lot of options so that you know, he can choose one and we never get to be disappointed because, well, he... Are we kind of pre-qualifying God with, you know, our theological statements of, well, technically, I don't know if God moves in this way or doesn't move in this way. And I think James would say, let him decide that. You pray with faith. You pray for an answer. Because it says he will make the sick person well. He will break the chains of addiction. He will restore that situation that seemed beyond restoration. He will defy the medical experts and reverse that diagnosis. I think I'm so often so scared that God might say no, that it dampens my faith and my Longing for him to answer. Are you seeing God move? Do you believe he will? And in case you're not sure, James is really generous because he throws in, you know, this, this story about Elijah. If you scroll down to verse 17, he says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly with persistence and with expectancy for an answer. And he prayed that it would not rain. That's specific. And might I add, that is bold. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Who prays that kind of prayer anymore? Hey God, I'm asking that you do that thing where it doesn't rain for three and a half years. Amen. What? I'm going to do that for you. Who are you, little man, right? And we exempt ourselves. He wouldn't do that. Why would? He says, well, look at Elijah. And then again, he prayed another specific and earnest prayer, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. That's audacious. I'm just saying whatever your impossible situation is, I don't know if it's up there with three and a half year famine. I don't know. But God did the impossible, which must mean, well, Elijah was a prophet, so he was special. But James goes out of his way to say, no, actually, Elijah 
was a human being just like you. What's James saying? If God was willing to do something so extraordinary for that ordinary human being, he is willing to do it for anyone who comes to him in faith. This is powerful. And then James says, so, if this is true, then try it. Try it out. Give it a shot. Come on, church. If there is any validity to any of this, James would say, give it a shot. Because it's not so much what you say about prayer, it's what you do. And James would say, come on, try it out. Give it a shot. Don't just read about the power of prayer. Practice the power of prayer. Stop reading about how God is moving in extraordinary ways in other parts of the world. Give it a shot for yourself. Stop chronicling and reading the history of the way God used to move back in the day. Give it a shot. Pray in faith. Get in on it. And he says in verse 16, Therefore, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James is inviting us, come on, get in on this. And by the way, he seems to suggest that maybe one of the reasons um, our, our prayers are interrupted or, or we don't see God move is because of the sin in our lives. Come on, get in on it. But if you're going to pray prayers of faith, you're going to have to deal with the sin in your life. Maybe the reason we are not seeing the answer is because we are holding on to or harboring or hiding an area of sin in our lives that we are just not dealing with. And that thing is standing in as an obstacle in the way of God moving. I cannot desperately pray for an answer from God when I'm ignoring the things he has called me to deal with in my life. That is going to be a hindrance. Sometimes we say God doesn't answer prayer, but the, the, the issue is, no, we are harboring and we are hiding errors of sin that we're not dealing with. And they stand in the way of this relationship with God, which after all, prayer is relating to God directly. And it's hard to do if something is in the way. James says, God wants to answer your prayer, but your sin might be in the way. And the answer to this is not to never sin. <laughs> That's not the answer to this. The answer to this that James gives is to always confess. Always confess. He says, the prayer of the righteous person is effective. The righteous person is not the perfect person. The righteous person is the person who's come clean. It's the person who has confessed their sin and experienced God's greatest miracle of forgiveness. He's not asking you to be perfect. He's saying, always confess that area of sin. Come clean to God and woo. He says, come clean to someone else in your life. 
This is one of the scariest verses. And, and, and if I'm honest, it, it's one of the reasons at times I'm like, ah, oh, would I really rather see God move or hold my reputation intact? Because if people know, I, I don't want anybody to know. And James is saying, no, come clean. And coming clean means I'm confessing my sin to God, but I'm also confessing my sin to somebody else that I trust. And if I don't do that, my prayer will lack a certain effectiveness. I'm telling you, if there's an area of sin in your life in which you've not come clean to God and someone else, it will render that prayer effective. You don't get to say, well, God knows. He wants you to admit that thing to him and admit that thing to someone else. And he is quick to forgive if we are quick to confess. And the moment we confess, he forgives us and we qualify as righteous. Now watch out. I get to come to him for those answers, and I get to see God move in powerful, powerful ways. James ends this section of scripture by saying, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the faith and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. There is ultimately this invitation to get in on it. And it starts with the removal of the obstacle of sin that stands between me and God. And James says, in fact, if you help somebody else experience the miracle of Forgiveness, which is what happens when we start to confess our sins to one another, is we get to play a part in seeing forgiveness made real and the pathway cleared into the presence of God, which, by the way, is what communion is all about. We're going to take um, communion together as we wrap this um, service. It's being reminded of the fact that we've all sinned and we've all messed up and, and we constantly are struggling with sin. But Jesus has made a way for us to constantly come back. Constantly come back. Meaning there will never be a reason why our prayers cannot be powerful and our prayers cannot be effective. Jesus has made a way for us to constantly be able to come back into the presence of God. And it doesn't come by cleaning ourselves or going back to church. It comes by coming clean and saying, I've messed up. There's nothing I can do to fix it. Will you forgive me again? And communion is a reminder of how willing Jesus is to say yes to our cleansing. So willing that he gave his own life on the cross to make sure that we can be made clean, that we can be made Righteous. Listen, I don't know what the Spirit of God is stirring in or speaking to the different ones of us this morning, but I do know that there is an invitation from heaven on the table for each of us. And for some of us, it may be this invitation to just return to this place where you first pray, where you first 
pray. You've been running to so many other things and heaven is saying no. Distress or delight or whatever. Desperation is an invitation. Would you prioritize praying? I've been trying that this week. It's not been easy. But it's been beautiful to return to this place of just praying about it, praying about it, running to him first. For some of you, there may be an impossible situation in your life that you've kind of quit on, you've given up on. This may be a re-invitation to re-engage that in prayer. For some of us, it's an invitation to maybe for the first time turn this corner where we start to pray prayers looking for an answer. God, I'm not quitting until you answer me. Because those are the prayers God is longing for in his church. And for some of us, that's the invitation on the table. Come on, pray with faith. For some of us, it may this be this invitation to come back to this place of cleansing because we've been harboring and we've been hiding these areas of sin and heaven is saying, come back into this place where we commune again, where we communicate again, where you see God moving in great ways again. For some of you, it may be the invitation to, for the very first time, admit that you and God are at a distance because of your sin. And you are asking him to cleanse you for the very first time. I don't know what it is for you, but I know James would say, whatever it is, don't just think about it. Do it. And and so here's what I'd invite us to do. I'm going to invite us to to pray um, a prayer together, a prayer of cleansing whether you're praying this for the first time or whether you've prayed this many times before, as we take communion, we just want to pray this prayer together. I'm going to read it to you so you can see exactly what it is that you'll be saying so you're not surprised by it. Um, Here's the simple prayer. God, I confess that I've sinned against you and I admit that I cannot fix what I've broken. I ask you to forgive me, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus died to pay for my forgiveness, which is what communion symbolizes. I receive your forgiveness now. Amen. I would encourage you, whether you're praying this for the first time, or maybe you recognize that you've been at a distance from God because of your sin, I would invite you to pray this. And if you feel like I'm good with God, I'd invite you to pray this anyway out loud for the benefit of those who may be praying it in this moment right now. So I'm going to ask us to stand. We'll pray this prayer together, and then we'll take communion before Emily comes out to close us out. So let's, let's pray this prayer out loud. If you're willing to pray it and mean it, let's pray it. God... I confess that I have sinned against you. I admit that I cannot fix what I've broken. I ask you to forgive me, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus died to pay for my forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness now. Amen.